Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. How are we doing? If you're fairly new, or even if you're not, Discover CC is a great place to connect. The only reason I'm doing that is because I was just in there, um, taught on the front end, just mission, vision, what our church is about, and then almost ran on stage because I was late. So if I'm out of breath, that's why. Um, But you should go to Discover CC. Um, I tend to kind of be in that mode a lot because one of the things that I hate, just in terms of life, and this is honestly like where I need to work, I hate wasting time. So I'm kind of always from one thing to the next. I'm probably overly like hyper-focused on um, efficiency, but I hate wasting time. In fact, if there is anything that requires a line, it's automatically not worth it. Like, I don't care how many records you sold. I don't care how great you are. This is not worth it. I'm not going. I, I don't want to wait in a line, um, which if you have to with me, it's miserable. So like, I need to work on it. Then kind of big joke though, is you have four kids, my kids ages 10, eight, six, three, and you try to put them to bed, and you talk about like playing on every bit of your impatient or the fact that you hate wasting time, because that that process starts generally at about 3.30 in the afternoon. (laughs) And I'm just, all I'm asking you to do is just lay down. You don't even have to go to sleep. Just lay down, stop talking, stop running. Uh, But 3.30, so that I can try to get you to bed by eight o'clock, like just plays on everything that I'm weak at. And right, for most of you, and I mean, even if you're not a parent, you feel this way. I would love for somebody to force me to go to bed at eight o'clock. Please, I'll take that all day long. But I just hate it, man. It's just everything in me about not wasting time. It just um, plays on that, or just not wasting in general. And then you kind of move that to a macro level, just in terms of life. And I think everybody maybe feels this way, is it's really difficult when you look at things in your life, whether big or small, and it just feels like a waste, that a season has been wasted, an opportunity has been wasted. Like, why did I do that? Why did I stay in that? And it's just random, whether it's the things that most of you have no control over, like where you stayed in that marriage and it didn't heal, and now you look back on that season, and it's, you maybe wouldn't say it out loud, but it just feels like a waste, or you tried to do everything you could to reconcile a relationship and they betrayed you anyway. Like you prayed on a spiritual level and you believed and like you were hoping and yet your prayer and belief, like none of it happened the way that you wanted. I mean, I think for a lot of us, it's like universally, you look at even like the COVID years, there's a lot of that for maybe certain experiences, maybe for our kids where there's stuff, it just feels like a waste. It feels like a, a part of maybe a season of your life was stolen. But whatever it is, opportunity, relationship, season, you just look back now, it's just, it feels so random. Like it just feels like a waste. In fact, it's one of the big things that causes people to walk away from faith. And I I get it. Like where the needless or wasteful pain and suffering that just starts to cause you to go, I I don't know, man. I don't know if, if it's worth continuing to follow God. I can't figure any of this out. But then if we're honest, then there's the other side of it where like we had something to do with it. Like we wasted a season. We wasted the opportunity. We wasted um, maybe the talent, like whatever it is, but like we had a hand in all of that. 
So here's my question for you that relates back to this series on heaven that is a big deal. Your answer to this question is a big deal. What if in heaven, God's view of heaven, God's vision for heaven, what if in heaven nothing is wasted? Like what if nothing is wasted? What if God has determined, and it's a part of his ultimate desire, what if God has determined to redeem all things? Which is different than this idea of heaven of just escapism. Well, eventually God's just going to deliver us from it all and it's going to be something better. Eventually we just get taken out of all of this and you get heaven and it's going to be amazing. This is different than escapism. What if God's promised more than that, that God is actually not just going to give an escape from, but redemption of? Like what if God has decided that he is going to not waste a thing? And that has huge implications that I'll try to explain in the next few minutes if you're not tracking with me. But your view of heaven, and this is why this series is a big deal, ultimately determines how you live this life on earth. So this is one of the series that builds, like if you weren't here to go back, watch on YouTube, podcast it on a podcast catcher. But your view of heaven determines how you live this life on earth, the decisions you make, the priorities like what, what your relationships. I mean, in fact, a lot of what Jesus even commanded us to do or our invitations don't make sense in, unless there is something actually better to look forward to, something knowable. I mean, think about all Jesus asked us to do. Hey, I want you to put yourself second. I want you to be generous. I want you to give your life away. I want you to love others even when they're not worthy of it. I mean, come on, there has to be something to make it worth it. Otherwise, why don't we just get heaven when we die and live this life however we want? And that question ultimately really determines what you do when you're walking through like a season or a circumstance or relationship, or maybe you've been in it for a while and it just seems like a waste. It's one of the things that even tempts you to walk away. So here, here's the thing that we started to look at last week, and that is that, that God's overarching vision reveals that his plan for all things, both globally, but not just globally, personally, is the redemption of all things. And I'm gonna come back to that, but this is a big deal because to understand heaven, here's what you have to understand that we started to look at last week, that the Garden of Eden was actually God's forever plan for all of humanity. Meaning, all the stuff that you see in the Garden of Eden, I know if you're a skeptic, like Genesis is difficult, so like go back and listen to that message, I get it. But in the Garden of Eden, it was culture, relationships, work, art, building things, growing things, ingenuity, senses, physical place. It was this world in some ways as we know it, but at its best, like perfer- per- perfection, untainted by sin, And it was God's forever plan for humanity. But then that life at its best got broken and tainted by sin and dysfunction. That everything like either we create, that we're a part of us ourselves is is in some ways tainted and broken by sin, but it still has the marks of God's original design. But here's the thing that's huge, that even though that I was tainted and broken by sin, rather than God being done with the Garden of Eden and ultimately being done with you, Done with me. God decided that heaven would actually be God's ultimate redemption plan to return humanity and to return us to what he originally created. That God decided that he's not gonna scrap everything, but instead he's gonna redeem everything. This is why, like, to, if you, again, to go back to last week, that, that this idea of heaven being an actual physical place, it's not non-physical beings, it's not a non-physical place because we were never created for some ethereal, like it's nothing like what we know, but just trust and have faith, it's gonna be better. Uh-uh, we were created for the Garden of Eden. We were created as physical beings. Genesis 2, 7, 
It says that when God created Adam, however that happened, it says in 2.7 that Adam became a living thing, Hebrew word nephesh, when he became not just soul and spirit, but when he became body, soul, and spirit. Because we were created for the physical world. We were created for this world. We were created for the Garden of Eden. That was God's original vision and plan for all of humanity. And then sin broke all of it. And so why, it's why Solomon says this, that you, whether you recognize this as coming from God or not, God has set... God has set eternity in the heart of every single human being, which just means this, like that thing inside of you that, that comes to the surface to go, this isn't how it should be. This isn't, this isn't how life should work. This shouldn't happen. Or on the positive side, every once in a while, you get those glimpses of like your best day where it's really good and you would just wish you could experience your best day on repeat. And you're like, why can't life be more like this? And Solomon would say, that's actually the marks of God inside of you that longs for what you were created for. It is actually um, eternity in the human heart that longs for forever in the Garden of Eden. This life perfect at its best. That's a GPS where you are longing for more. You're longing for this life at its best, this life perfect and without sin. So let, let me explain it more this way because I'm not sure if you're with me or not. Um, let me explain it for, are, are you? Okay, seven of you. Um, one of the biggest, let, let, me, let me try to back up and explain this. One of the biggest misunderstandings about heaven is the fact that God is gonna come and create something completely new rather than redeeming all things. In fact, just stay with me here for a second because this is a lot. But right now, the scripture talks about there is a temporary heaven and then there's gonna be an eternal heaven. In the temporary heaven, it has many of, not most of the marks of the eternal heaven or what God created us for in the Garden of Eden, meaning all the things that were representative, art, creativity, life, phys, you know, physicalness of it all, nature, everything that we, we associate with life, God has created us for. And so there's that temporary heaven, but eventually the temporary heaven is gonna come down to earth and what the scripture describes is a new heaven and a new earth. But it's not the obliteration of the earth or the obliteration of all things. It's actually the transformation of all things. In fact, John, toward the end of his life, writes about it. And John, and I know this may be weird for some of you, but John actually gets a glimpse of heaven and gets to write about it, which is if you know anything about John's life, somebody needed to throw that guy a bone. Like, it was great that he got, because, I mean, John follows Jesus as close to Jesus as anybody, and then after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus pieces out and like, okay, you guys are going to rep me on planet Earth, and it was nothing but hardship and dysfunction. I mean, by the end of his life, just to consider this, John's lost all his friends. Most all of them have been um, murdered for their faith. He's exiled to an island in Patmos. He's all alone. I mean, he knows it's real because he saw Jesus rise from the dead, but there's gotta be a sense in which, okay, come on, just do something. Answer one of my prayers. And so John, towards the end of his life, and he deserves it, gets this glimpse of heaven, of what God has created. And he writes about it in Revelation 21.1, where it says, and this is John writing, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And this is, and it's so clear from the context in the original, this is not talking about God doing away with, God obliterating, God starting over new. This has the idea of the new or the, the intermediate heaven coming down to earth to create the new heaven and new earth, which is the transformation, the redemption, the restoration of everything that God had originally envisioned. And so verse two, John, as he's writing this, saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven 
And this is interesting. The, this physical city, because even the temporary heaven is a physical place because that's what we were created for. Coming down to meet earth. And he said, I heard a shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them just as God was at the very beginning. What he originally designed in Eden for all of humanity. And then verse uh, two over chapter 22, it says, and on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, this is so important, yielding its fruit every month because John is making clear that what this is gonna be is not, not a brand new or obliterated earth. It's gonna be a transformed or redeemed earth. It's gonna be the garden of Eden as God originally designed it with the tree that God originally designed and the leaves of the tree are healing for all the nations. And this is incredible. Verse three, and no longer will there be any curse. That what God started, God's gonna finish. And God's vision, God's plan, God's desire in the Garden of Eden ultimately is where we will end up. It's God's design and it's God's vision for heaven because it is what we were created for. In fact, we said this last week that heaven is not an escape from this life on earth. Most of the teachings around heaven are about escapism that, yeah, yeah, I know it's bad, but it's gonna get better. God's gonna deliver you from all of this. It's actually way better than that. Heaven is not just an escape from life on this earth. It is the redemption of our life on this earth. And it has massive implications because, and this is maybe shattering some of your Sunday school theology, God is not done with this earth. God is not gonna scrap everything. God is not gonna obliterate anything. All the way back to Genesis 3, 15, when sin entered the world, immediately God began to put forth his vision to redeem everything. And in fact, this is where we're going to end up in a perfect, restored, redeemed Garden of Eden, life as we know it, but perfect. And when the scripture talks about you can't even imagine, it's because we can't imagine life as we know it in terms of this physical nature and creativity and work and art and relationships that are completely untainted by sin. But eventually that's God's design. And the temporary heaven will meet this earth to create a new heaven and a new earth and to return us to what God originally longed for in the Garden of Eden because, this is so important, because God creates good things. And in the Garden of Eden, when God created everything and then put his feet up, he declared over all of it, what I've created is good. And this is so important. God never gives up on what he created. Instead, God decided that nothing he created would be wasted. That God one day would redeem and restore everything. And then that brings us to you. That brings us to me. Because here's why that theology and that understanding is such a big deal personally, it has such massive implications for you, is that God's whole like posture and plan is redemption and restoration. Because what if God has something bigger than just restoring this earth, which one day he will do? What if God has something bigger than just the redemption of the Garden of Eden? What if God has promised to redeem and restore your life, your circumstances? Like the stuff that you are walking through right now and there are no dots to connect, it doesn't make sense, you don't understand and you're wondering if there is something better because here's the thing about the Garden of Eden, God didn't just declare creation good, God declared you good. 
as an image bearer, made in the image of God. And he has promised as the creator of all things that I one day am gonna finish what I started in creation and I'm gonna finish what I started in you because that's who I am. Nothing is going to be wasted because this isn't about escape from. This is about the redemption of. You know what that means? It means that that none of your pain is gonna be wasted. And let me just put this at street level for a second. Like that thing that all of us feel like, I don't even have to ask, I don't need to know your background. Just that thing that goes, this isn't how I saw this going. Like I thought they would behave better. I thought I'd get the promotion. I didn't think it would end this way. I didn't think this is what I had coming for me in the next decade of my life or that thing of, this is not how I thought it would end. The relationship that desire to start the business, the fact that I actually reached out, took a step of faith, didn't end well. This is not where I thought I would be. Like that's just the thing in life where it's easy to talk about because you don't have to have any faith to just go, that's life. Like you can attribute to whatever you want, but something's broken. And so Paul comes along and he writes to Roman Christians. And this verse, as I'm about to to kind of recite, it, sometimes it can be taken so out of context and used at such an inappropriate time that it loses all of its power. But Paul comes along and he writes to Roman Christians who, I mean, we can't even imagine, they were Christians un, in Rome under Nero. Like there has to be like, yeah, we believe Jesus rose from the dead, but there gotta be some doubt. Why do we keep being, being drugged into the Colosseum to be fed the lions? Why is Nero lighting us up on basically these poles to to illuminate his garden? Why are we constantly looking to be faithful, sacrificing, and we're getting nothing in return? And Paul writes this in this context, which I think gives it power, and we know. And by the way, this promise is not for this life. And we know, a verse that some of you are really familiar with, that God causes, what, what's the word? All right, we can do a little better than that. And God causes what? Just help me out. Everything. And you know, in the Greek, that means everything. Like for some of you, and this is mind-blowing, we'll come back to you. In some cases, the things that you did to you, everything to work together for the what? The good of those who love God, just meaning believe in what Jesus has done, trust in what Jesus has done to live a perfect life, die the death they should have died for their sin dysfunction, walked out of a grave alive, and then are working imperfectly to love God by loving other people. That's their calling according to his purpose for them. And eventually, and the problem is we're constantly bringing that verse up in inappropriate times and trying to connect the dots for people and the whole Jesus movement becomes so inauthentic when here's the reality. Sometimes I don't know why you're walking through that. It doesn't make sense. There's no dots to connect. There is no verse or cliche that I'm gonna be able to slap on that and you're gonna walk away and be emotionally satisfied. It just doesn't make sense and Paul knows that. And he's going one day, everything is gonna work for the good of those who love God and called according to his purpose. And you're like, well, Paul, how do you know that? Simple, because Jesus turned a crucifixion into a resurrection. And when he rose from the dead, it validated everything that he said. And the pain of the cross, this is so powerful and interesting. The pain of the cross made no sense until after there was a resurrection. And the pain of the cross wasn't wasted, it was redeemed. 
And for some of you, you're walking through something right now and it makes no sense. And somebody should stop giving you verses or trying to slap little slogans on it to somehow make it better. It's not better. It's not okay. It's not right and you weren't created for that. And Solomon would say that's actually eternity that has been placed in your heart. But the promise is even though it makes no sense in this moment, one day God says, I will redeem every single bit of it for my divine purpose. And I will not waste a second of your suffering. And actually, can we just go a step further? Because some of us need this more than that. Not only is your pain not wasted, this is what so many of us have never understood or we forget, your pain is rewarded. That Paul actually talks about the fact that whatever you walk through in faith, not perfectly, but whatever you walk through in faith where it's, God, what are you doing? Why are you not answering this prayer? Why are you answering their prayer? Every bit of, I don't understand the nonsense, the randomness, the waste of what is happening right now. Paul would say that every bit of pain and suffering that you walk through in faith, you will receive reward in proportion to that suffering. That that thing inside of you that's going, it's not fair. And I'm walking through this and I'm trying to do everything I can to be faithful and they're not and all of their prayers are answered and it seems like everything is working out great. Paul would go, hold on because God has not missed any of it. Come on, every once in a while, I just feel like if I could just know that, that might be enough. Like I'm walking through this and God, I just need to know that you know. Like I think you know intellectually, but just give me something. Like do you see do you know, are you with me? And what God promises in terms of heaven is that divorce where you know, everybody tells their story and everybody hears the story and nobody's really gonna know the truth and you know what's happened behind the scenes and you're walking through it and you are trying to be faithful and it doesn't seem like it matters. Where you, you've moved in the direction that you thought you needed to and you were betrayed you're dealing with the second diagnosis and you're looking at somebody else around you and you're just wondering what in the world God is doing and none of it makes any sense. Or you, I mean, you've been, you've been praying for a decade. You've been believe, believing for a decade and none of it's working out and you just wonder whether God really is watching and maybe he is, but it doesn't seem to matter. And I love, I think it was David wrote, in the Psalms when he was walking through, honestly, a season that was hell. And it's hyperbole, but it's, it's really God communicating to the human race just in a picture so that we would know. It says that, that God, that Jesus, bottles up every single one of our tears. And it was just this declaration of the human race, just so you know. I know every single tear. I know every single bit of betrayal. I know every bit of that wasted season, that relationship, what was done to you, the hurt that you feel. And here's what I love in heaven. It won't, and this is usually what we're taught. In heaven, it won't be that like it never happened. And it won't be that somehow we just forget it's better than that. That's the escapism view of heaven of like, well, just wait, we're gonna remove, you're gonna forget all of it, you're gonna be delivered out of it, it's gonna be like it never happened. That's not what the scripture teaches. Actually, our present sufferings will matter in heaven. And that's actually better. Jesus, after the crucifixion and then resurrection, when he walks out of a grave alive, I think in history, and if you're unsure about faith, like that's where you start, man. Did, did Jesus rise from the dead because if a dude predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off, you, to be intellectually honest, you have to take whatever he says seriously. And after the bodily resurrection, Jesus appears multiple times to his disciples in his glorified body. 
because we were created not just ethereal, soul, spirit. We were created for body, the physical, our senses, all the way in the Garden of Eden. And come on, I mean, Jesus, resurrected, glorified body. He's as whole as you can get, and yet he shows up his disciples over and over again, still bearing the marks of the scars of crucifixion. And yet, on the other side of the resurrection, the scars just hit different. Because a few days earlier, what just represented the worst day in all of humanity at the end of Easter weekend represented the best day in all of humanity. What looked like profound loss in a way that the human race could not even wrap their minds around and all of the disciples said, it is over. We're not following a dead Messiah or dead son of God. There's no way you can be who you claim to be. And all of a sudden, what looked like massive defeat at the end of that weekend, those scars represented victory. What looked like everything was over and it was all lost suddenly represented the redemption of the entire human race and the offer of it through his resurrection, which is why Paul says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not, what's the word? I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us that you're not just gonna escape your pain. You're not just gonna escape your suffering. It's not just deliverance from, like you forget and you don't know. It's gonna matter in heaven. In fact, there's the promise that God will not just work divine purpose out of that thing, that God will actually reward you in proportion to whatever you have walked through in faith. And so right now, what you're walking through in this life may never look like more than loss. On the other side of being with Jesus in the place that he's created since the Garden of Eden and envisioned for humanity, that loss may look like the biggest victory of your life in hindsight, in comparison to glory, in comparison with divine purpose, in comparison to the fact that God's going to reward you. And come on, can we just ask this question? Because what Paul writes is somewhat insensitive unless it's true. For whatever we're walking through, whatever that thing that pops into your mind, for it not even be worth comparing to what ultimately we're gonna experience with that reward, with that divine purpose. Can you imagine how legit that is? Can you imagine how incredible that is where you look at that thing where it just almost seems like it's insensitive on Paul's part, but he's going, no, no, if this is true, whatever you're looking at right now, and it is brokenness, it's defeat, it's your heart has been ripped out, there is no way that anything good can come out of this. The reward is, the hope is, God's divine purpose is on the other side of all of that, it won't even be significant in comparison because God has promised not just to deliver you from the pain, God has promised he won't waste any of the pain. There is purpose coming. Your suffering in faith, the church has lost sight of this teaching, is rewarded. Keep following. And not only is your pain not wasted, None of your sacrifice is wasted. And the reality is, man, when you feel overlooked and you're grinding and you're trying to be faithful and it doesn't look like anybody else is with you, you're quickly, and I don't care how bold you think your faith is, can be led to these questions. Is it worth it? Does it matter? Like, is it worth it? Does it matter? 
Like all of a sudden you're walking through a season where you're trying to be faithful and you're a sophomore in college and nobody else is doing what you're doing and nobody sees it and you're not being really rewarded for it and they look like they're having more fun and you've been faithful and nobody seems to care and you just wonder, is it worth it? <laughs> Does it matter? Or you're trying to be generous and not only did you not give and God gave you 10 in return, you gave and you got negative five in return. And you haven't been rewarded for any of your set. Like you keep serving and nobody seems to be watching and you've wondered and the diagnosis is returned and it's another unanswered prayer and you stepped out in faith because you believe that's what God wanted you to do and you stepped out in faith and you got burned. Like for some of you, maybe this is the reason that you walked away from faith because you were given a theology that said, well, you just believe and it'll get better. You just trust and you'll triumph. And that hasn't been your experience. And can I just tell you real quick, that hasn't been anybody's experience. And in fact, cynical side of me come out for a second. Generally, the just believe and it'll get better, trust and you'll triumph is couched behind a book deal or somebody tried to build their kingdom. Because here's what Jesus actually said. In this world, you are going to have trouble. Take heart, this is not your home. Like something better is coming. But like over and over again, you see this. Like Paul, I love the realness in 1 Corinthians 5.13 where he poses the same question where he's like, why do we endanger ourselves every hour trying to be faithfully faithful? Like relationally, I keep doing what nobody else is doing and I feel like it's not working out for me. Financially, I keep sacrificing and giving and God doesn't seem like he's giving in return. Like I keep trying to be honest. I keep trying to hold the integrity when nobody else knows it. And it feels like they're getting rewarded for not being honest and not holding to integrity. Like I keep trying to grind, sacrifice, be faithful. Why do I keep doing this to myself? Why not just get heaven when I die because of my trust in Jesus and live this life however I want? And Paul answers the question. I face, this is Paul, I face death every day. I mean, honest now for just a second. I mean, most of us in our effort to be faithful and not get noticed, we lose like a relationship and maybe a bonus. Paul's like, I might be dead. Like that's what I'm facing, death. As surely as I boast in Christ our Lord, I fought wild beasts in Ephesus, but if I've done that with no more than human hopes, meaning if, if everything I'm doing is tied to the fact that I gotta see it, that I gotta connect the dots, that I'm waiting for 10 in return to my one, I'm waiting for it all to make sense, I'm waiting for somebody to notice, Paul's like, what have I gained? And then he says, and if the dead are not raised, and this is what all of us have thought, I think at some point, let us eat, drink, because tomorrow we die. <laughs> like, come on, if this is all there is to this life, get some good bourbon, beer, a boat, and enjoy this life, and then still get heaven when you die. Anybody? Yeah, you can clap for that. That's just honest in church. First time you've been honest in like forever. Like, that's just how we feel. Like, honestly, there, there was a season, and, and I felt this more intensely than ever before because I, I honestly haven't had a lot of these seasons, but walking through the, the years of well, all that craziness with COVID and, and culture and social unrest and all the ways that impacted kind of the church globally, and it was the most difficult season of leadership by far, by far in my life, and there, there was a moment, like in all honesty, where I was with my wife and I was like, man, I love Jesus. I'm never gonna stop loving Jesus. And I believe the resurrection is a historical fact. So I'm not gonna get away from that. Like it's, that's it, man. And I, I know I place my faith and trust in Jesus, but there was like this, these fleeting thoughts of, I wonder if it's worth it. Not following Jesus, but just the sacrifice during that season. Like, I wonder if it's worth it. 
I wonder if like, I wonder if, it, I wonder if it's gonna, I mean, really matter the way that I think it is. Or maybe I should go from like a five down to a three and just enjoy a little bit more of this and then still get heaven when I die. Because there's just those seasons where you just, where it's so difficult, it's so tough. It seems like nobody else understands what you're walking through where you just start to question, does it matter? Is it worth it? And I love that the disciples struggle with this. Like one day, um, Jesus with his guys and Peter pipes up as Peter often did. Just real quick, like Peter, like I, he do, dude was a mess and I love him. And I make fun of him all the time, but honestly, I relate with him more than anybody else. If you don't know the story throughout the New Testament, Peter's constantly over-promising and under-deliver. Dude's opening his mouth at all the wrong times, never knows what to say, a little bit low on the social IQ quotient at times. And so, and I say all that in love, but one day he's with Jesus, and he just says to Jesus what everybody is thinking. Matthew 19, 27, we have left everything to follow you, Jesus, and this is just real. What then will there be for us? Which is, you would think if I were like interpreting the rest of scripture, Jesus would turn and go, are you serious, fool? Like you have the nerve to ask this question. Peter, love you. Shut your mouth, stop talking. Cause you just keep doing this. And yet Peter, Jesus turns to Peter. He's like, yeah, I answer that question. I, that's a legitimate question. What is there for us? Does it really matter that we're following faithfully and it doesn't seem like anything's happening in return? And here's what Jesus said to them. Truly I tell you, at the renewal, transformation, redemption, because this is who God is and his means for dealing with the world, the redemption of all things, your sacrifice for my sake. And we just gloss over this, but this, this is real will receive a hundred times as much. Which means if Jesus rose from the dead and validated everything he said, which validated that statement, it means that your faith, when your faith doesn't seem to matter, it means that your hope, when you are clinging and God has not answered a prayer lately, your generosity when you've given and you haven't gotten anything returned, your prayers, your integrity are not in vain that nothing is wasted. That when you pray by the bedside of somebody and nobody else is showing up and nobody's gonna know about it and you're not gonna get called out on Instagram, when you're showing up and you are giving faithfully and you are investing and it just doesn't seem to matter and there's no benefit and yet they've done the same thing and it feels like they're getting back tenfold. When you keep praying, when you keep believing, when you're sacrificing, when you move in the direction of somebody to forgive and they do not deserve your forgiveness, and you wonder whether it matters. God says, I will redeem every last act done in faith. It will be worth it. It does matter. In fact, in Proverbs 23, 18, it says you, talking about this is heaven, will be rewarded for this, that your what? Your hope, when you start to wonder, will not be disappointed. You might be disappointed right now, but here's the thing, man, this kind of takes the pressure off, off of life at some level because I'm not looking for return on investment right now. I'm not looking for it all to make sense. I'm not getting, and I want to, but I'm not getting rewarded for all my sacrifice right now. Like there's things that I'm walking through and I don't understand what God is doing in terms of the long term. But the reality is that God has promised to redeem all things, the earth, our work, our faith. It means that what you've missed out on in terms of following and sacrificing for Jesus, you haven't. 
It means that what you have given up will be repaid. And it means that what you get to do now is investing in something. I know we've heard it, but we don't believe it. That is going to last for all of eternity. Because come on, are you guys tracking with this? Jesus is bringing his kingdom to earth in terms of kingdom ethics, love, generosity, grace, a message for the entire world that God so loved the world. And that what we do now is ushering in those kingdom ethics. But are you guys understanding this? That one day, Jesus this literal physical kingdom is going to touch down on this earth. And right now, the only thing that you're not going to get another shot at doing is actually investing in that kingdom for all of eternity. We get one shot of having the name of Jesus roll off our lips to people in our city and community to go, there is actually hope up ahead that's better than this. We get one shot to invest, to sacrifice, to give, to pray for, to show up, to point people to Jesus. And we get maybe 50, maybe 60, maybe 70, maybe 80, maybe 90 years to do that. And that's it. And everything you've done in that moment is going to reverberate for all of eternity. And we get one shot at it. That's why what we do in our cities, our communities, our neighborhoods, our families on this earth that will one day be redeemed in the vein of the Garden of Eden, it matters because this is where we're going to end up again. This is where God's going to usher in his kingdom. And what we do is not confined to this time and space. We are investing in something that is way beyond it. So usher in Jesus' kingdom and be a part of his redemption and restoration process right now. This is Paul's encouragement in his own words when he says this to a lot of us. And if you don't believe, you, like you don't have to take any of this seriously, but if you're a follower of Jesus that feels like you're in this place, he says to you, stand firm. Hold on. Let nothing move you. And he's speaking to like in those moments where you just feel like you're alone and nobody else is doing this. When it doesn't seem to matter and always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because that investment, you're not gonna get another shot. It's why other than loving my wife well and raising my kids, there is nothing that I'm gonna do that's gonna be more valuable than building Jesus' church or ushering in Jesus' kingdom in this little bit of time and space that I've been given. Because you know, Paul's words, that your labor in the Lord is not in what? It's not in vain. It is worth it. Because not only will your pain not be wasted, not only is it not escapism, it is the redemption of your sacrifice will not be wasted. That God sees all of it. And then last thing, and I'll close with this, because I think the implications are huge. If this vision and, and version of heaven is true, as Jesus described it, your life is not wasted. And this is where it gets super personal because if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, belief in what he's done for you, like this is why we call it good news because the implications on God's like vision for heaven are so practical to you to because God decided not to start over with you. Like knowing everything I would do, knowing everything that you would do, knowing everything that was up ahead, the business trip you haven't told anybody about, the thing that like you continue to keep in secret, the things in your thoughts and motives and desires that nobody else knows, that God knew everything you would do and decided to redeem and restore you anyway. That God's plan for all of the wor world, all of creation, and for you is redemption, restoration, transformation. This is why the whole argument, and I get it if you're holding this, but the argument against 
God based on God's allowance of evil and pain and suffering that seems random in this world, like this argument of, I don't think God can be real and God can continue to allow evil to go unchecked. And yet here's the reality of that situation. If God were to remove all evil tomorrow, God would remove you. God would remove me. And our scale of evil is like, yeah, like we don't see evil in us and brokenness in us. We've got a scale of brokenness, but the reality is the scripture teaches everything is broken. And every once in a while, you get a little glimpse into your brokenness. And so the reality of Jesus removing all evil, one day Jesus will do that. But if Jesus were to do that today, all of us would be gone along with everything else in creation, which is why the cross is so unbelievable because you were top priority in God's redemption and restoration plan at the cross because you are made in the image of God. You are the Imago Dei and God will not abandon you any more than he will abandon his whole creation because you are a part of his creation. This is why Paul said this, that this means anybody who belongs to faith and trust and belief in Jesus, anybody who belongs to Christ has become a new person and the old life is gone. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you're living like it or not, whether your behavior reflects it or not, that is not an indication of truth. Your old life is gone and the new life has begun. The moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus to redeem you, and that is eternal life that will last for all of eternity, and the reality is that God will not abandon you in your brokenness, and in fact, God has promised to give you new life, a new identity, and the only thing that stands in the way of that is your decision to say yes. Because come on, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him will not be lost to God will have eternal life. But then the verse around that verse that never gets any airplay says that God has not come into the world to condemn the world. You know why? Because the world's already condemned. Why is God gonna come and condemn it further? Like everything is broken, creation is broken, systems are broken, leaders are broken, nations are broken, people are broken. God didn't come into the world to condemn the world. It's already condemned. God came into the world to rescue and to restore and he doesn't abandon broken things because what he created will not be wasted. So no matter how far you've run from God, your life is not wasted. You are not too broken. He can make it new because this is why our version and vision of heaven that actually aligns with the scriptures matters because the scripture makes really clear that we have hope that there's more because God has promised to redeem and to restore. The promise is not escape from. The promise is redemption of. That your pain is not wasted. That your hope is not wasted. That your sacrifice, even though it feels like it in this moment and nobody else knows, is not wasted. That your waiting is not wasted. That your life is not wasted. Because all of the pressures of this life and trying to connect the dots in this life are gone away because God has placed eternity in your heart and your story is not over because God decided not to start over and instead promised that one day he will redeem and restore all of it and that includes you. As John wrote, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying pain, because all of these things will be gone forever. Not because we're hoping so, because Jesus died, 
rose from the grave, validated everything that he said, and his means of taking crucifixion and turning it into resurrection is his plan and vision for your life and for all of humanity to return us to our forever home, the Garden of Eden, life at its best, without sin, fulfilling what God had placed in every single human heart. And if you're walking through a season right now and it is dark and you cannot connect the dots and you cannot figure out what God is doing and there's all of this pressure to make sense of it, the reality, the hope, because God's not just redeeming earth as a new heaven and new earth, he's redeeming you, is that there will be joy in the morning, that it is worth it that it matters and that ultimately we have every reason in the world to hold on. So you guys just stand with me. Pray wherever you are online, via radio right now, podcast. Jesus, I just thank you for what you are doing in this moment. And honestly, I don't have adequate words to even know what to pray. Or really where this hits, but I pray that right now, I don't know, for some, it, Maybe this would be the first time where they would just sense your presence and your closeness in such a way that they would just know that you are with them, that you are for them, that it is true. And that not only will one day you restore and redeem all of creation, everything that you had envisioned in the Garden of Eden, that your process from the beginning is to not waste anything that you have created to not waste anything that you declare good, but instead to redeem it and restore. And I just pray that maybe in this moment where there's nothing emotionally satisfying that anybody's gonna say, we can't walk out and suddenly understand it all, that you would give us the hope that it does matter, it is worth it, and to hold on. And we pray all of this in your incredible name. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.